today's show, I'll be speaking to Paul Redzer Redmond. We'll be talking all things MMA, getting called up to the UFC, cutting weight, training, diet, and nutrition. So let's get on with the show. So welcome to today's show, Paul. Great to have you on. How are you? How are we? I wanted to give a little bit of an insight, I suppose, into what an MMA career looks like and going back to your origin story and basically starting from the start with yourself and how did you get into MMA? I suppose a lot of, a lot of kids would have really wanted to play soccer or uh, play a ga or rugby. How did you find yourself in MMA? Yeah, so for me, um, I was never really good at sports. I tried, um, I tried in nearly every sport out there. So my mad put me into GAA. She put me into hurling. She put me into boxing. She put me into swimming. She put me into, uh, you name it, anything. And I was brutal at everything. I just, I had no, I had no desire to be in part of any sports club, or I was never interested in it. I, I was always the joker in class. I was always, I was always just interested in messing, really. Um. I got into my teens, tried the gym a couple of times, you know, going lifting weights. Um, didn't really enjoy it. Didn't enjoy the process of just going lifting weights and going home and eating clean and stuff, you know. Uh, then I t- went to the building site when I was 16, 17 and lived the builder, st- the builder lifestyle up till I was about 21, which is breakfast rolls and chicken filler rolls Monday through Friday. Um, yeah. Eating pizzas and chippers every night of the week when I'd be around with the lads, and then drinking Friday through Sunday. And I got I got to the point then when I was about 21, 22. Um, a friend of mine actually gave me a couple of UFC MMA DVDs to watch. It was just like the ultimate ultimate knockouts, and um, it was they weren't full fights; they were just knockouts. And and I, I enjoyed watching it, and all the guys that were doing the knocking out were in really really good shape um, and I would thought that might be a thing to get into even though I was never one for sort of fighting or getting in trouble out on the roads or if, if a fight happened I would nearly turn the other way to go away from it you know um, yeah. I was more interested in the training aspect of it and the training side of it because they were all super looking athletes shredded in good shape and whatever so I, on my 22nd birthday, I think it was a week after my 22nd birthday, I just went down to my local club. Um, it was only two minutes from my house. It was Team Rhino. That's the gym I'm in, at, in, in now. And yeah. they turned out to be one of the top two gyms in Ireland. And I, I was just fortunate that it was so close to my house. It had such good um, training in it. And that's basically how I started. Um, you know, I, I, only, I, I only started MMA to get fit. And to get in good shape, right. never, never took it up to, to even. I, I didn't even want to entertain the idea of having a fight, um, and yeah. then sort of the rest, the rest follows. You know, uh, you do, yeah. You get a few months into, you get a few months into it in training. Your confidence starts coming up a little bit. Um, you know, you start beating guys in the gym. You start getting. You just notice yourself getting a little bit leaner, getting a little bit fitter, getting you find yourself in the gym more than you would in the pub or, you know, and it's just a snowball effect 
that one thing leads to another. Yeah. And that's how you end up staying. That's how we ended up staying in the gym. And that's how sort of I ended up starting. I actually didn't realize you were that well in, in today's terms, like that's it's nearly pretty old to be kind of starting within within the sport in itself. Yes. Like at that age, like pretty under gyms, you'd have them probably from and you're up from 10, 11, 12, kind of starting. Yeah, a lot of people say that. Um, and then how we got sort of, I think from the day I started to the day I got signed to the UFC, I think it was about six years, maybe seven years, which is, you know, pretty good standard. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it, the only reason we, I sort of got to that level so relatively sort of quick was, I just found myself down there morning, noon, and night. I was in the gym twice a day, six days a week. And then it, you, yeah. it got to the point where I was never with me, me regular friends, I would say. I was never in the pub then. I was never I was never going yeah. to the chipper. I was never going um, uh, with any of them. I just found myself in the gym, hanging around with those people more than I was me, me, me old, well, not me old friends, me, me, me friends that I was with at the time. And um, like I said, it's just a snowball effect and... Uh, that that's sort of how it got so good so quick. Generally, if you're going to get to that top level, something has to consume you in the training and, and your nutrition and stuff basically took over. Like, can yeah, you tell us about absolutely? You know, you're fighting in Cage Warriors and and that progression and getting that call then from the UFC. Like, you were you know you've a pretty good uh, record in Cage Warriors. A nice string of, of fights, but obviously got the attention for you. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll go a little bit before yeah. that. So I'll actually go from. My, the start of my pro career I did a, I think I had about 10 or 12 amateur fights back in in 2009 I think I started and I did about I did amateur for about two years um, there was no really amateur scene here things were only starting to sort of build in Ireland or if even there was a couple of shows up north a couple of shows yeah. down south maybe six times seven times a year and you would try and jump on all of them so 10, 12 fights max was sort of your amateur career, which is completely different now, which is great. It's it's better now than it was back then. It was a multitude of sort of rules and different rule sets. And you'd, you, you would turn up to a show and they would have their, their own rules. Okay, set. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it'd be, a, it'd be a bit weird. So did my amateur career, started my professional career. Um, I went sort of hit and miss um, at the start. I went three wins, three losses. The losses were just silly stuff. Um, and then I, my coach, Andy, he told me to go away from go away into America or something to train for maybe a month or two. So me and one of my friends went over to American top team in Florida and sort of met all the UFC guys over there at the time. And back here, the UFC, there was no one in the UFC in 2011 from Ireland. Yeah. You know, it was it was a thing we watched on Bravo once a month. We see all these superstars. And, you know, that spurred me on a little bit to train a little bit more, to get a little bit better. So then I came home from there and Cage Warriors came knocking about. Um, two of my friends had already fought for them, Neil and John Donnelly. And, you know, I just hit the ground running with them. I think I think my mindset over in America changed a little bit. Um of to, to see how much sort of we wanted it. And then um, when I hit when I went into the Cage Warriors then I just went on a little bit of a tear. I think it was about two and a half years, yeah. uh, eight fights and I think I'd only got beaten once and now and I, I TKO'd or submitted everyone that was put put in front of me. So with that momentum then um my friend Neil had already got signed to the UFC and with the momentum I had with Cage Warriors, I got a last minute call from the UFC um, I was actually in work at the time I was on a construction site out in Intel 
And it was a week after Christmas and I got a phone call from my coach, Andy. And there was whispers that I might get signed to the UFC before this. Yeah. Oh, sorry, at some, sta- at some, door, at some yeah. stage coming up. Yeah. So, but they came, I got a phone call on a Thursday um, about 11 o'clock asking how fast I could make 66 kilos. At that time, I was 84 kilos right. when I got the phone yeah. call. So I said six, uh, six to eight weeks. I need a full camp. I'd never, I had never fought at sixty-six kilos before. I, I had all my good wins. I had all my wins uh, at lightweight. Yeah. That's the, the way I fight. At. Um, and they said, my my friend Neil, he was fighting on the Sweden card. Um, anyways, and I was training with him for that. And they said, no, it's for the Sweden card, which was in twelve days. So I had to make it from eighty-four kilos to sixty-six kilos in twelve days. Sick. So, yeah, so I think we missed weight by two pounds. Uh, it was yeah. a kilo, a kilo yeah. basically. So I think I got like uh, 16 kilos off me in, in, in there or thereabouts. Surely had to affect your preparation even going into the fights. For, like... Well, that's why I got battered on the night. <laughs> that's why I got battered on the night. Now, it was no fun whatsoever. We were, I was doing nearly... All right, so for that... Okay, that, that's probably the worst way I could imagine. Yeah. I think every morning I ran about about a half marathon, about 20k every morning. Um, that wasn't even class as a training session. So I got up in the morning, ran 20k, yeah. then went to the gym, um, did a session, came home. I couldn't sleep or I couldn't recover because we only had 12 days and I had to do a multitude of um, uh, the medicals, the, the UFC caliber medicals, which is an MRI, an MRA for your neck. Um, you have to get your heart tested right. you have to get a full medical by a doctor you have to get all your blood work done so we have to go organise this while I'm doing all these half training yeah. sessions too. then they're trying to cook the proper foods um, I think I was on about a thousand calories a day while I was doing these half marathons and stuff and it was just horrific it was the worst two weeks you know what should have been the best moment of my professional career and life at the time, getting signed to the UFC, it was the worst two weeks of my life. Um, and I, I don't say that lightly. Yeah. When you're trying to run half a marathon on no field, and I'm not talking no field, I'm talking you're five days into literally no field on a thousand calories, which have been doing three sessions a day, and then you're going into your fifth day to do the same thing. A week doesn't even come into it, yeah. you know. Then you go, you do the whole weight cut stuff, you get there or thereabouts, you fall just short of the um, of the finish line, um, and then you go out and put on a terrible performance. So I don't look at I don't look back to my UFC debut as a fond memory, which it should yeah. be. So you know, a lot of people, you know, you, you fought in the UFC. It was the worst two weeks of my life, and it finished off with me getting my head smashed in for three rounds, basically. And I don't, you know, that's the way it is essentially. Yeah. People that people from the outside looking in don't see that part of it. They just see me getting signed to the UFC and I had a tough fight that's it yeah yeah that's I, I wasn't aware of half of that I knew you had to the serious cut for the weight but like to actually to think about and break it down for people to physically what you went through on a daily basis and then to like you you, you give anybody a thousand calories for two weeks yeah. how are they going to feel just, just in their everyday life yeah. how are they going to yeah. feel now do what now add in, add in all that other stuff then as well yeah. You know, so it's just it's a thing people don't realize because, again, 
they're uninformed of what goes on behind the scenes in that. And it's it's through no fault of their own. Just to, to flip that over then, Paul, if that was the, the worst, uh, I suppose, uh, you felt or uh, probably after the fight then, so what's the, been the best experience for you throughout your career? The best experience? Ari, really good one. So coming off the back of the UFC, so we've been just told we done. I did two fights at 66. You know, I walk around at 82 kilos. I'm not fat. I'm trim, trimming up. You know, so the cut to light weight yeah. is fairly substantial as well. It's 12 kilos, 10 kilos on a good day. Um, can't do 66. So I got beat, beat in my second fight in the UFC, and they subsequently cut me. They dropped me. No problem. At that, at that first initial sort of email off the UFC, I said to myself in my head. What's the point anymore? That was the pinnacle in my career. Everyone's on the downslope now. I'm finished. So yeah. then I gave it about, I gave it a couple of weeks and I started talking to my coach again. And I think I was only 29 at the time. Um, and he said, you know, you're far from doing it. You got a raw deal a bit. We go again. So we went again. And at the time, Bama was putting on a big show in Dublin. The first one down in the tree arena. For, um, yeah. for sort of Irish MMA coming back. I know they did stuff in the point years and years ago, but it was the first one in the three arena for Bama. They put me as the co-headline slot against a really tough fighter, actually a good friend of mine now, Chris Stringer. Um, and I went down and it was the best weight cut I'd ever had because I was back at lightweight. I really nailed it down for like 10 weeks. So it was an easy weight cut. I went there, won every round and it was in front of me, home, home fans in the three arena. So coming off the back of a terrible, te- two terrible memories. I got a really good one. So you know, it swings and roundabouts. You mentioned there the, I suppose the mental side of it then as well. From from the UFC to would have been very very easy just to pack it in and just say, look, I, I'm not going to get that experience again. Like that's. It's not my. It's not my nature to let things get the better of me so easy. Um, it was just that initial shock. I sort of had a feeling it was coming. Um. But they let they they let they dragged their heels for a couple of months with doing it, and we were emailing them asking mm. for fights and asking for fights, and they sort of just put us on the long finger, and then it then the the call came, so it wasn't too much of a surprise, but when it did, it, you just have that initial shock of ah fuck it, I'll just do it. Then you go you go away for yeah. two or three weeks, and you're saying to yourself, well, you know what, I didn't get into it, I didn't get into fighting for. Um, money or anything like that. I did it for myself for for personal reasons and everything else follows. So as long as I kept doing it for the reason that I started, I was enjoying it. And then I went out and really enjoyed myself the night I started fighting again. Um, After the UFC, I think it was about 18 months between when the UFC let me go to to the fight had with Bama. So it was a long period of time. So by the time the fight rocked around, um, I was I was itching to get in there, and then after that, then we went on another bit of a tear. So I think at the minute I'm six and three post UFC. So I mean, I still have a good record after the UFC, you know. The the big thing, I suppose, like obviously there's the eighteen month gap now, and there's a force gap there then for you for well, for every sports person outside of outside of for with with COVID. So how are you coping? Yeah. Maintain and like, what's the training looking like now? Are, are you like I seen there doing your back with, with Cage Warriors and that for uh, another period? Like, is there anything upcoming? How are you? How is your training going right now? Or what's the typical day like? So, when the force when the COVID hit last year, um, when the COVID hit last year, it was a bit of a shock to the system. 
all the gyms were closed, couldn't go up to BJJ, couldn't go hip pads, couldn't do anything. So I found myself doing a lot more cardio-based based stuff for the whole summer. So I was out doing half marathons with my friends. I was out um, cycling 100Ks uh, with my coach Andy and stuff. I was out just doing that type of stuff and I was enjoying it. But it negated all my strength training for the whole summer. I went back lifting weights then at yeah. the start of the year and I was weak as a kitten. So it was, it really did, and I didn't think about it at the time. Um, then we got signed for a fight in Cage Warriors this year, uh, actually only two months ago, and I fractured my arm. Um, it's just one of those things. Um, so they asked me to go again in October in two weeks. Um, I'm just getting, I'm just getting back to fully fit now. So I think I'm gonna get, a, um, get a run out in late November. I think Cage Warriors have a show. Um, could be wrong. It could be early December, but. It's going to be later on in the year rather than next week or two weeks. At least you're getting back to it. Like it's uh, it's been a long slog, like because it's a contact sport. Like yeah, it's just it's just one of them yeah. things. Like every time they implement the lockdown, them type of gyms are the force together because it's such such a close contact, you know. Um, which is a shame yeah. because uh, the kids, kid, or like the athletes, professional athletes can train, but. Our, our gym, we think there's only about four professional lads there. So, you know, you're not yeah. going to get the, the same level of training as if you were training with the whole gym. So it's just unfortunate. Yeah, and what's your, what's your typical day looking like now then with your training and prep for? Um, I, all right, so a, a typical day if I'm not training, or sorry, but if I don't have a fight coming up, I still train all my MMA stuff in the evenings, um, you know, jiu-jitsu, wrestling. Yeah. Um, that'll be six days a week. So I'll be sparring on, sparring on a Monday. Jiu-Jitsu on a Tuesday, wrestling on a Wednesday, Jiu-Jitsu on a Thursday, um, re- uh, Nogi on a Friday, and wrestling on, on a Saturday morning. So that's that 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 training never tra- changes. Yeah. That's that's me MMA stuff every evening. And then depending on where you are in your sort of, if you're outside the camp, you can sort of lift a little bit more heavier weights in the in the in the morning. So you might tra- throw in three three morning sessions a week of strength training. Um, at the minute now, I my job is 10k from my house, so I've started running in here in the mornings, and I class that as a training session. So I'll do yeah, yeah. a 10k run. In. I'll do a 10k run to walk. I'll do my walk, but then I'll do my MMA based training in that evening. I'll do that three times a week, and I'll do strength training three times a week in the mornings. So I'm still getting me two sessions in, and I'm still getting me uh yeah. on me strength training, my cardio training, and me. Uh, MMA training then the and then thereabouts wherever we are if, if in, a, in a fight camp the only thing that will change is the intensity of your MMA based training will obviously come up a little bit maybe you'll target some specific stuff on what your opponent is going to do um, and then your strength training will change a little bit where you're not going to be lifting maybe as heavy weights you'd still go quite heavy in terms of the first half of camp, and then the second half of camp is all basically just trying to cut it up and really get really get super fit. You know, really push the heart rate up in training session. Well, that's interesting to to hear it from from that player. Like you, there's so much I didn't realize there was like obviously I knew it was full on, but I didn't realize there was so much like on a weekly basis, and then like to try and juggle everything within the camp. Then you know, and you know, you're looking at the the tactics of perspective from facing an opponent then as well and bringing that into it like does that change does that change your camp so yeah so I don't I, yeah that well, that changes from camp to camp because yeah. obviously it's a different fight or every, every fight but 
I used to wreck my own head looking at um, opponents and what they would do and what I think they would be about to do in a fight or whatever. And a couple of years ago, I had myself wound up with what a fight I was going to do. Great. And he did no, he did none of it. He, he, he did absolutely none of it. And, you know, so it, I just said to myself, well, what's the point? So my coaches go, they yeah. look at what I've got to do. They just give me specific drills to do in the gym that will pertain right. to the fight night. So they won't say, this guy is going to do this, this, and this. All they're saying is, we're going to drill this tonight. That's it. So that aspect of it is, is gone now in my head. I don't I don't think about that too much. Um, and I just prep the way yeah. my coaches prep me. So they're prepping me from the outside looking in because they're watching what my opponent is doing. So all I really, all I really have to worry about is my nutrition, my uh, getting to the gym, my fitness levels, and sleep recovering. You know, it's a big thing that people don't uh, don't factor into that training. You just mentioned nutrition there. How does that, you know, taper in for your for your camp or what really at the start, like calorie loading or what? So I used I, I've done. I've done every single type of bad weight cut imaginable. Not only that big UFC one. That was that was uh, it was the war. It was just it was horrible to do. It was no it, there was no nutrition in that. We were basically just starving ourselves yeah. for two weeks. You know, which, it wasn't the right thing to do. But it was twelve days. That's all we had. But years ago, when I hadn't got a clue what I was doing, I would basically just stop eating carbs. I would stop eating carbs and I would, I would be trying to do these two sessions a day and work on like chicken and broccoli. And now I'm going back a, a good few years and I would just feel shit all the time. And then I would do a little bit more reading. I would, I would actually tend to hold a little bit of weight. You know, you would, you, you would look like the number would come down on the scales, but you would look it's like soft. Yeah. Yeah. Soft, yeah, you know? yeah. Does that make sense? And the muscle mass would, would be gone. Um, but, and, I, and I would get to the scales and I'd be looking and I'd have a little uh, half a yeah. belly like at the end and I, I wouldn't be as lean as the other guys. You know, throughout the years, I, I've did a lot of reading. You know, I'm, I'm not by any means a nutritionist, but uh, I know how to cut weight. I know how to eat properly. I know how to um, sort of taper in food around me, training sessions and stuff. So th- throughout the years, it's, I've just done reading. I've read a lot on it. And I've asked a lot of people too, you know, like that when I spent time over in America, um, uh, that guy Mike yeah. Dolce was over there. Um, he he was the first guy to sort of come out with all this weight cutting um stuff, and I, w- I was picking his brain a lot over there. Then um, when I was in, I was I trained in TriStar in Canada too, um, and I had Joe Duffy and Tom Breeze and all the you know the UFC guys. They were working with um, uh, George Lockhart at the time. and I was picking their brains as well, what they were eating. So throughout camp, basically, you just have to time your carbs around your training. For me, some people are, it's, see, this is the thing, some people are different. So what you what you can eat and put away in a day to what you're training. If you went and did my training yeah. for a week, you could put it, you could probably put in twice the amount of calories as me, Jay. Whereas I know my body type I would when I when I started overindulging myself on carbs, even if they're you know what they call good carbs like potatoes and rice and stuff, I still notice yeah. I put on weight. I just have that body type. It, it, it is what it is. So for me, I have to time my carbs all around my training. It's usually fifty to hundred grams pre-training and about fifty grams post-training, and that's where I'm at. Um, 
that'll get that'll taper off as we're coming down um throughout camp and then it really tapers off about two weeks out. I'll pull them right down. They'll go down to about 100 grams for about a week. And then on the last week, I'll, I'll try to go to as close to zero as possible, drain all the water around me and do the wake up from there, really. Yeah, it is It is a learning experience. I'm sure it's changed from every camp. Like you said, you've tried multitude of different things to try and figure out what works best for you. And uh, like it is person-specific. Yeah. Like You could write up the best tailored planner. The coach could hand you something and it could be completely the opposite to to watch you watch it you know but that's it like, like like i was saying to you just before we had started there's so much misinformation out there that it's 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 not people's fault that uh, that they that this is the information that they're being given it's it's what's out there online mm. it's what's being forced them on instagram or on tv adverts you know this is healthy for you that's healthy if you eat this eat that so I, was t- I did another podcast there a couple of months ago. Um, the Irish Independent had put out, had ran a story on uh, intermittent fasting. And the, it was based on a, a woman who was a mother of four. And she went from like a, a size 16 to a size 10 in X amount of period. Great. Great for that woman. If she feels great doing it, do it every day, lose even more weight, more power to you. But for me, I, 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 this podcast had got in contact with me, Philip O'Connor, he's, over, he's based in Sweden. He, he got in contact. I had put out a statement on Twitter. I said, that's really bad information to be given people on the basis of the headline they had yeah. put out. They said, this woman had lost five, you know, X amount of kilos in such amount of time through intermittent fasting. What is the first thing young... Um, I would say impressionable girls will say yeah. because they're they're really about their physique and stuff at that age. They're, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to stop eating for X amount of period of time and think this is great and then squeeze as many calories in in a four window period, four hour window period, yeah. and it's it's promoting um, unless like I said unless they have actually read every last detail of what goes into this yeah. diet, what are the effects of it, what. Are, they're not going to know. They're just going to try it. They, they might be, um, they might get malnourished out of it because they're not eating enough in the four-hour four window yeah, period. Sure. So I think people are just being fed misinformation. The more people can read, the more people can learn. Um, and like I said, it, it's so person-specific nutrition is, it's a lot of trial and error. But look, I, I've tried everything. So I know what works for yeah. me through years of doing it. Every person is going to be different. So for that intermittent fasting might work for one person. It's not going to work for another. Um, keto might work for one person. It might work for another. So with food, I would say go try as much things as you can. See how you feel on all of it and make your own sort of personal decision. You know? Yeah, you're dead right. Like for a lot of people, it is trial and error. And people will try something for maybe a week or like if they've tried intermittent fasting or keto or whatever, just calorie counting for a week or two, it's not going to plan. It's like, oh, I've tried everything. I'll jump onto the next thing. I'll jump onto the next thing. I'll jump onto yeah. the next thing. But like you said, like through social media or even like the, the papers themselves, like headline grabbing, this worked for Mary. She lost X amount. The, the context is often missing. And then people don't consume the rest of the information or do their research on it. They're just going to follow exactly what this person wants. Exactly. And the results can be detrimental as well. Like you said, it could be the opposite effect. But then, 
you go to you go to the likes of even strength training. Um, there's been I think the Russians wrote the whole book on strength training in the 40s or the 20s or something. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing new out there. There's nothing new out there. If you want to lift heavy, lift certain heavy weights to grow that muscle. And that's the be all and end all of it. If you yeah. want to get faster at a specific sport, do that sport as much as you can to get faster at it. Like there's not there's not um a million and one ways to train. Yeah. You can lift the weight or you can't. If you want to get strong, lift something. If you don't, don't. If you want to run faster, run faster. There's some certain things you can do, but the general idea is strength training, weight training, and getting fit, and even losing weight. It's a simple process. It's people have this idea yeah. of, and only after years of doing it. And the reason I had started um, MMA was, like I said, I was in a bit of a rut with food and. You know where I was. There was nothing really that I enjoyed doing. Um, it was it, it was a combination of me food, me, me the training I put together, and reading, and and it's simple. Yeah. It really is simple to lose weight. You know, if you tell somebody, um, eat less calories than you're putting in, they'll just automatically half everything or they'll stop. They won't. They'll they'll lose a whole meal out of their diet. Okay, technically, it's you've you've taking calories out yeah. of your diet, but is it the right calories you're taking out of your diet? Is it, are you getting enough calories of something else in? And that's what I'm saying. It, it, all this stuff is sports, uh, is, is person-specific. Yeah, and there's, there's too many people out there right now, like you're saying, on, hitting the nail on the head, like they're trying to reinvent the wheel when the basics are, are just not being followed. And it is very frustrating for me personally within the industry. And I know you've, you've had a little bit of experience in it yourself as well. And it is, it's, it's really trying to re-educate people on the basics before you're actually going forward with even James, I, I did my personal training uh, exam with you right? so the two of us are personal training I know how to raise somebody a basic program you know to, to get fit lose weight or whatever I've been training the last 15 years and um, when it comes to if some if an athlete came to me to, to, to you know to get them ready for whatever I'm, I'm an idiot at that type of stuff. So I wouldn't, I would, I would give them to somebody else. Whereas when personal trainers get their cert, they think they're geniuses. They think they're PhDs yeah. in this stuff. I'm like, lads, just need to realize ourselves back in. You don't know it all. You don't know even a fraction of it. Um, so uh, I, I would recommend even make making do a bit of research on the person you're going to <laughs> for sure yeah like that. again it's, it's it's continuous development and it always like i'm continuously reading and you know the new research and stuff every single day to advance my knowledge and exactly what what you're saying but just one one last thing for you as well just to to tie it all together for you over the last uh, i suppose 10 years for yourself uh, within your career and within the sport itself what have been the biggest changes you've seen or what even again with COVID, I know it's been a big impact in the last year, year and a half now. Are there going to be further changes to the sport maybe going forward? MMA in particular, yeah. Yeah. So the biggest change I've noticed is it's it's a slow it's it's been a slow process. Like like I was talking about earlier on. So back when I was amateur, there was no real there was no governing body. There was no um your your amateur career was basically you show up, you, so it, it was basically like the pro scene. Your coach would get a phone call. I have this amateur guy. Do you want to fight? There's your go- have you any amateur guys there that will fight? They say yes. You meet on the night. You do the weigh-ins, and that's that. 
and there was no regulation on how much weight you could cut, how much um, how much weight you could put back on, whether whether the person yeah. was hydrated or, or anything. Um, so there was guys cutting. I was cutting massive weight for um, for amateur. I was cutting down from eighty two kilos where I'm at now down to seventy kilos for an amateur mm-hmm. boy. We are not getting paid yeah. for. You would do a full camp for that. Like we were doing full camps for that. So the biggest transition I've seen now is the guys. Well, some of the guys from um my gym, well, <clears throat> Team Rhino. They were at the worlds, the the amateur worlds the other day. <clears throat> so there's an, an international. It's called the o, the OIMAS or the OIMAS, the International MMA uh, Federation. They put competitions on around the world, the, the Euros, the Worlds, the Pan Americans, you know, th- these type of competitions. So mm. basically what it is, I, I coached the Irish team in Vegas a couple of years back. They did, uh, it was the Worlds over there on the UFC fight week. Um, it was great. So basically you register yourself as an athlete for Ireland. It doesn't matter how many there is. I, th- I think I think now there can only be an X amount, you know, three from okay, the yeah. white group or whatever going over. But it's, it's like the boxing amateur world champions championship. So it's like, so you show up on the Monday, they weigh you in. You cannot be more than two kilos over your weight. So then the next day you weigh in. The day you fight, you actually weigh in on fight day. So they know you're not cutting too much weight. The next day, right. you're not allowed to be a kilo over that weight you were before. So that means that... that um, um, keeping an eye on how hydrated you are. The guys okay. cut a little bit away here and there, you know, just to skim a pound or two off the top, but they're not cutting kilos off the top. They're not. Yeah, yeah, it's not massive you know. drops. So then you'll fight on, I think the first fight is Tuesday. Uh, it's a knockout competition. So if you're not getting knocked out, you're gone. So you have the first fight Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. If you win all those fights, so you have a fight every day. Right. You have Saturday off and you'll fight in the final on Sunday. So you could have possibly up to five fights in one week. The, the real set is with the judges that wobble heavily. They'll call the fight there and then. They don't want to send amateur fighters home concussed. Um, if, you've, if you have a cut, they'll just call it. It's amateur. Yeah. And they really based they really sort of narrowed it down to this is the amateur sport. You wear a rash guard when you go out a, a, a top like like you would in the amateur scene in boxing. Um, yeah. And it's done unbelievably. So now kids are going out and say they'll do the Worlds. They'll do the Pan Am. i say they do the Worlds, which is the big one. And they do the Europeans. You could have, if you win the both of those, there's 10 fights in the space of six months. Whereas my whole amateur yeah. career was maybe 10 fights over the space of two and a half years. You know, so the so the huge. You know, then then they'll have regional ones in their in their own country, um, and they can still take little amateur fights in their own circuit then as well. So, I think the kids coming out um through the amateur ranks are gonna have nearly a 40, 50 fight amateur career before going pro, which is which is great. It's the way boxing yeah. was. You're gonna breed out who's really good, who wants to be in the sport, who only wants to do it as an amateur. You know, some people might want to go to pro scene. They might only yeah. want to compete in the amateur scene. The bigger gloves, don't take it as too seriously. Have a competition every couple of weeks, couple of months, whatever. Um, but 
the, the, that's the biggest change I have seen in it, and I think it's only going to get better from there. Yeah, I think it, like you said, it, it's that probably realigning itself with the likes of boxing, and like again with boxing as well. Like probably over the last 15, 20 years, like the money involved in it is it's obviously exploded, and there's more kids even even picking it up. There's, you know, even if even if uh, even if you only go to your MMA gym, um, just to train. Go down and check it out. It's it's there's something in it for everyone. You know, I do, I went down and I, I went down with an open mind and I, I enjoyed it all. Some people go down, they might um a lot of times this will happen. If they'll come down, they'll try the whole lot. Getting punched in the face isn't for everyone. So it, it's no. not, you know, I, I didn't think I'd enjoy yeah. uh, fighting until I went down, did I? And it turned out I liked it. But getting, getting punched in the face is, isn't for everyone. So they might enjoy the grappling end of it. And 99% of, of it, of the time, anybody do, who doesn't enjoy MMA, the whole punching thing, they'll definitely stick on with the jiu-jitsu. And it's a skill, I would say, to anybody. Go down and learn in your local club. Go down and join it. Try it and you'll love it. I think I'll, think I'll wrap it up there. For, for today Paul that's been great thanks so much for giving so much of your time for today it's been been great and giving great insight to the Linsers really hope you enjoyed today's show I'll be back again next week with another special guest don't forget to like and subscribe 